1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. Love is the glue that holds relationships together. Love is the glue that holds relationships together. At least that's what held together Zelmyra and Herbert Fisher's marriage together for 86 years. 86 years. They are the current Guinness World Record holders for the longest marriage on record. 86 years married. That is a long time to live. That is a long time to be married. They were married on May 13th, 1924 and continued until Herbert passed away in 2011 at the age of 105. Zelmyra died. Also, Zelmyra, that's an awesome name. Zelmyra. She died at the age of 105 also in 2013. They lived in the same North Carolina home that Herbert built in 1942. They lived in it through the the entirety of their marriage from there on out. And they were both very religious people attending church every week, though they attended different churches every week. They were both members of different churches. And yet they are the ones that hold the record for the longest marriage. When asked, What the best piece of marriage advice they ever received was, they replied this, quote, respect, support, and communicate with each other. Be faithful, honest, and true. Love each other with all your heart. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 calls love the greatest virtue. Love has certainly been lacking in our culture the last couple of years. You've probably experienced it. People are angry. People are rude to one another, even just out and about shopping. People are caustic and harsh, especially online, attacking one another. But it's not supposed to be that way amongst us who name the name of Christ. Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so from this verse, this instruction from Jesus, we understand that love is the distinguishing mark of the believer. What separates us from everyone else around us in the world? Well, there are a number of things, but Jesus says that love must be true of us even when it is not true of anyone else in the world. The Bible repeatedly reminds us of our responsibility to love. 1 Peter 4.8, let me give you just three verses. 1 Peter 4.8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. 2 Peter 1.5-7, add to your faith love. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. The commands to love are throughout the scriptures. If we get really honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we don't love like that. We don't love up to the standard that God calls us to, and we certainly don't love others like Christ loves us. Why not? Well, if you're like me, you don't love God or others perfectly, far from it. If you're like me, you love yourself far too much. So in our Christian walk, we have to frequently return to this area of love and realign our hearts to Scripture. We have to constantly be in the process of examining our lives and comparing it to the Word of God to see where we've gone astray so that the Word of God can correct us. In our time this morning, let's step into God's cardiac unit, if I can borrow an analogy, and let's give our hearts a spiritual love checkup. 
And as we compare ourselves to the perfect standard of God's word, we will see very clearly at times where we lack biblical love. By God's grace, we can identify ways to grow in love this year. It is the 2nd of January. Maybe some of you have set New Year's resolutions. Others of you are non-resolution people because you think that that's just a way for someone else to pin you down, okay? Whatever your stance is on resolutions, having something to walk away from today about growing in our pursuit of love is something that God wants for each one of us. So let's resolve today as we begin a new year to better practice biblical love. Now our culture talks a lot about love, doesn't it? Talk shows, songs, the culture at large is obsessed with this topic. But there is a huge difference between 21st century America's view of love and the Bible's view of love. The Bible defines love as putting other people first regardless of how we feel. Because the Bible's definition of love, it's a self-sacrificing love. One of my professors defined love this way. Love is sacrificing the best you have for someone else, regardless of their response. Consider this definition. Love is joyfully sacrificing self to advance others for God's glory. It is giving yourself for another person's betterment or advancement. Notice the different parts of this definition. It's up on the screen as well. Joyfully. Love is joyfully sacrificing. And that's a key part of love, joyfully. Love rejoices at the success of others. It doesn't sacrifice self simply out of duty. Anyone can say, fine, I'll do that because I have to. You twist in my arm. But true biblical love is excited to show kindness to others. Love also is sacrificing. It costs us something. True love is not easy. But it's easy to give when it's convenient for us. It's easy to love others when there's a benefit for us. But true love gives of ourselves no matter what the circumstances are. But what are we giving? Love gives self. Love sacrifices ourselves. We could say that we are the currency of our love. We give our time, our, our efforts, our energy, our money, our ears, our sympathies, our prayers. We, we give many different things to other people. And why are we doing that? We give to advance others. The goal is not to make myself look better. The goal is not simply to show other people that I'm a nice person. The goal is actually to benefit someone else. Love is directed toward others. They are better off as a result of their interaction with you. And the ultimate aim or the goal for all things that we do is for the glory of God. We love others because Christ loved us, so we love to give him glory and to advance his kingdom. That's a pretty convicting definition, isn't it? It's hard to measure up to that. So what we need to do then is compare our hearts to the word of God this morning. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for just a few minutes today to see how we can resolve to grow in this practice of biblical love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the single greatest chapter, the single greatest unit in the Bible on love. And the Lord, frankly, brings me back to this passage over and over again because I'm, I'm not a naturally loving person. And if you're honest, you love yourself probably far too much as well. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us three major reminders as we resolve to grow in our practice of biblical love this year. 
And for time's sake, we're not going to explore all the nooks and crannies of this passage. We're going to take the whole chapter and work through it to see how we measure up, how our heart check is going. First of all, the first major reminder from 1 Corinthians 13 is that love's importance cannot be overstated. Very simply, without love, nothing else matters. Verses 1 through 3 remind us that any great deed carries no value at all if it's not done in love. Look at verse 1 with me. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it gains me, it profits me nothing. We see three points here under love's importance cannot be overstated. First, from verse 1, speech will not benefit others without love. If we teach or preach with the most beautiful, eloquent language in the world but lack love, what good is it? If we talk to others but we show no care or concern for them, no love for them in our communication, it doesn't benefit. It would be like walking up to someone. Actually, let's do it this way. Imagine after the service, I walked up to you and we're about to have a conversation. You asked me a question. Hey, how was your Christmas? But instead of answering, I pulled out a pair of cymbals like you would play in the orchestra and I clashed them together in your face. There are a lot of words that probably would come to your mind about me and loving is not one of them. But that's exactly what the Lord says. Our, our words, our speech, our communication is like if we lack love. From verse 2, we see that spiritual gifts don't benefit others without love. Even great gifts, having the gift of prophecy, whether that's preaching prophecy or the ability to, to see the future, as the Corinthians had that ability in the early church, understanding all mysteries, so understanding the complexities of the Word of God, having all knowledge, having an ability to retain the Word of God, having faith that moves mountains, you could even say visionary leadership. Even if you have all these gifts and you don't have love, it results in a, in a, a bunch of nothing. Talent with, without love doesn't build anyone else up. Knowledge puffs up, 1 Corinthians 8.1, but love edifies, love builds up. Then in verse 3, we see that sacrifice will not benefit others without love. The, the word profit here it profits me nothing at the end of verse 3, is a financial term. Great sacrifices done without love doesn't gain you anything. Even though you give away all your things and you're a very generous person, even though you would even give your own body and sacrifice for someone else, it doesn't gain you anything if it's not done in love. One of the summers that, that Kate and I worked at camp in North Carolina, the camp theme was, was on this chapter, and it said this, anything minus love equals nothing. Anything minus love equals nothing. Anything worth doing is worth doing in love. We can't overstate the importance of love. And so if you're not convinced that you need to grow in it, I hope that this little paragraph begins by convincing you that this is an area we all need to make progress in by the grace of God. Well, let's shift to the next paragraph. Verses 4 through 7 have a number of descriptions about love. And whole books have been written on these verses for good reason, right? 
This section reminds us that love's actions cannot be overused. Love's actions cannot be overused. Physical exercise is a great thing, but it is possible to overwork yourself and exercise too much. That often happens here the first couple of weeks of January, right? Where some of us who are sedentary make a New Year's resolution or a goal to be more active, and we go out there and we kill it the first day. We're doing all these reps, we're running all these miles, and what happens the next couple of days? You can't even walk upstairs, you're so sore. Physical exercise is a great thing, but it is possible to overexert yourself. In contrast, we can't love too much. We can't overexercise love. It can't be overworked. In these verses, four through seven, there are 15 different qualities of love, and each of the qualities are verbs. That means that each of these things are not just simply descriptions of love, but they are the actions of love. Our focus today is to go through the entire chapter, so we won't go through each of these qualities in great detail. But let's summarize them then with four different general groups. And as we go through these qualities, ask yourself, is this an area of love that I can grow in this year? Is this an area of love that the Spirit of God is convicting me that that I need to make progress in by His grace? Let's read these verses to begin. Verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The first category that we'll lump these into is that love practices great forbearance. Five actions make up this category. Five actions are here, including the first two. Love is patient is the first one. Love is patient. Love remains calm even while being provoked. The word patient means to bear up under provocation without complaint. And all parts of that definition are important, right? Some of us can endure great hardships, but everybody else knows that we're really suffering because we like to complain. In a number of languages, patience is expressed figuratively. Patience means to remain seated in one's heart or to keep one's heart from jumping or to have a waiting heart. That's what patience means. But we're also to be kind, Love provides something helpful or beneficial for someone else. That's the idea of kindness, is that I am benefiting someone else. I'm being beneficial for them. Kind people seek to help others, not only in action, but in attitude. Kind people are gracious in their attitudes. Love is not easily provoked. That's also in verse 4 under this category of practicing forbearance. Love is not irritable. It doesn't become quickly frustrated or easily angered. The Greeks express this idea as his heart was eating him up or his stomach was burning. And we've all felt that, right? Maybe you felt it this week, waiting in line somewhere or when someone else was driving and and your heart starts to get a little bit sweaty, if I can put it that way. You're provoked into anger. Love practices great forbearance. Fourth under this category is that love bears all things. That's down in verse 7. This is the idea of covering, protecting, or supporting other people. 
One commentator, Thistleton, writes that love never tires of support for someone else. This means that the burdens, the struggles, even the quirks of other people are safe with us. We don't pass judgment on them for these things. We don't gossip about them to others. We don't use them as as part of our, our comedy routine when they're not around. Love bears all things. And then also in verse 7, love endures all things. Endurance means to continue to bear up despite difficulty and suffering, to persevere through to an end. Love perseveres through the ups and downs, the good and bad. That's why when, when in a marriage ceremony, the vows say in sickness and in health, in better or for better or for worse, love endures these things. Love endures and never gives up on people because God never gives up on people. If we were to ask ourselves, how much do I endure by the grace of God and measured it up to what Christ endured on our behalf, we fall so far short. But the beauty of the gospel is that we are not left trying to make up for something Christ lacked because he did not lack anything. He instead gives us the grace that we need to endure so that we can do what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. Love endures all things as it looks to Christ. Here's our second category. Love humbly deflects self. The opposite of humility is pride. Pride results in self-love. It cannot tolerate any other attention being given to other people. To love God and love others as we ought, we have to be clothed with humility. There are three descriptions from this list that fit under this category. From verse 4, love is not envious. That word envious has the idea of intense negative feelings over another person's achievement or success. Jealousy. Angst, envy. Love practices contentment with my own gifts, successes, and resources. Instead of a jealous heart, we have a thankful heart because we don't view ourselves as more important than other people. We're humble about it. Also in verse 4, love does not parade itself. This word means to heap praise on oneself, to behave as a windbag or a braggart. Like a 4th of July parade that marches down the street and draws all the eyeballs toward it, a self-loving person boasts and draws attention to themselves. It outwardly proclaims to everyone who would listen how great I am. And it pairs with the next quality, is not puffed up. Does not parade itself, is not puffed up. And this is a really interesting word because it originally referred to a pair of bellows used to inflate something. So what Paul is doing in this passage is using a metaphorical or a figurative word to describe a person who has an exaggerated self-conception. To put it into our English, we would say someone is too big for their britches. That's what is not puffed up means. And just like does not parade itself is a boast outwardly about my greatness, is not puffed up is an arrogant inward belief in my greatness. One says, everyone should know how great I am. The other says, I believe and I know that I am great. Well, both of those are antithetical to Christ and humility and biblical love. So love practices great forbearance. Love humbly deflects deflects self. The third category is that love graciously defers to others. And again, we have to be honest with ourselves. We all insist on our own way. 
we like things the way that we want them to be. We like our comfort. We like our schedule. We like our choices. We like our options. But love, biblical love, embraces the role of a servant. Love puts the needs and preferences even of others ahead of its own. Philippians chapter 2, Jesus came to earth, laid aside his preferences to serve us. Verse 5 shows us how to act graciously and preferentially toward others because love does not behave rudely. Love chooses to act properly, not shamefully. It doesn't disgrace itself. Rudeness cares nothing for other people. Love prefers others by treating them with respect. Love does not behave itself unseemly or rudely. And then it also, verse 5 says, love does not seek its own. Simply put, love is not self-centered. It does not insist on its own way. It does not dig in its heels to make sure its preferences or desires get fulfilled. True love is like gold, malleable and beautiful. Selfishness, self-love is like concrete, hard and ugly. I don't know of anyone that wears a concrete wedding band because it's not valuable. It's ugly. Yet we use gold because it's beautiful. Concrete can't be molded, only broken apart. Loving hearts are hearts of gold, soft and tender, eager to defer to others. Fourth and finally under this point, love chooses to think rightly. Right actions always start with right thinking. If our thinking is wrong, our actions probably will be as well. Notice how godly love thinks. Verse 6, it thinks no evil. This literally means to not keep a record of the wrong. It was a mathematics term. Love refuses to harbor evil thoughts about others and does not keep track of offenses. We're all human, right? We offend one another. We don't live perfectly with our relationships. Love does not harbor a record of wrongs. Ken Collier, the president of the wild, says of this quality, a test of our love for others is how quickly we recall the failures and wickednesses of other people. True biblical love thinks no evil. But second, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It finds no pleasure in wrongdoing. It doesn't delight in evil. Christians who love God do not love the things God hates. Instead, it rejoices in the truth. Biblical love is grounded in the word of God. So when we say, well, I just want to love someone more, our love is always shaped and defined by what God says. Celebrating God's truth and standing for God's truth is one of the most loving things we can do for people because it's what God says. Love rejoices in the truth. And then in verse 7, there are two more items. Love believes all things and hopes all things. First, love believes all things. Love chooses to give other people the benefit of the doubt. It chooses to believe the best about others. Are we quick to judge? Are we quick to assume motive? Are we quick to blame? That's not biblical love. Now, love is not being naively deceived about something, about refusing to be educated, about remaining steadfast in our ignorance. John Calvin described this quality as, quote, being rid of ill-founded suspicion. We give others the benefit of the doubt. Love hopes all things at the end of verse 7. Love anticipates the good in every situation. As long as God exists and as long as God is on his throne, there remains hope for us. There remains hope for people. Hopelessness, then, 
is blatant unbelief toward God. We don't think God is at work or can work. Hopelessness is also judgmental toward others because we write them off as being unusable. It's really hard to love people if you keep track of their failures, get excited about their faults, doubt what they say, and write them off as hopeless. It would be impossible to love someone that way. Biblical love means our hearts are thinking and believing rightly, not because the other person is worthy, but because we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's pause for a moment. How's the checkup going? Have you found something that the Lord's convicting you of? As I reviewed this list this morning, the Lord brought two or three of these again to my attention. I was in this passage two weeks ago, studying it, meditating on it for myself. Don't be discouraged, though. If the Lord is convicting you, don't be overwhelmed by the distance that you have to go. The conviction of the Lord, may I remind us, is an evidence of his kindness to us as he shows us areas of our lives that are not conformed to Christ. This is how we grow spiritually, by comparing ourselves with the word of God and seeing, no, I am, I'm not the way I should be. And by the grace of God, then we change. I would encourage you to not tackle all of these qualities at the same time. Select maybe one or two things that are causing you the most spiritual damage, things that that are the most out of whack, and focus on asking for help from the Lord this month. Focus on growing in that quality this month. If you try to focus on 10, 12, 15 of these, you will not make progress at all. Pick one or two, and by the grace of God, you can grow. So we've seen then, love's importance cannot be overstated from verses one through three. Love's actions can't be overused, verses four through seven. As we transition to verses eight through 13 then, answer this question. Do you want to make an impact on other people? Do you want to contribute to their success? And I'm not just talking about people out there. Think of the people in your life, your family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your siblings. Think of the people in your work. Think of the people in your community group here or your home prayer group or your Bible study. Think of the people that you love and care for. Do you want to make a positive impact on their lives? If the answer is yes, then we must love one another. Love others because love impacts people. Verses 8 through 13 show us four reasons that love's impact cannot be overestimated. Love makes an impact. Verse 8, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Verse 9, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I shall know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. The chapter finishes with verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love's impact cannot be overestimated. Why? Verse 8, it is stronger than any force. Love never fails. Love never fails. Everything else in this life fails. We fail each other. Our vehicles fail us. Things in our homes fail. 
We fail tests in school. Everything fails except the word of God. Love never fails. Its strength never diminishes. Its power will never cease. Things grow old and wear out. Clothes get holes. Vehicles get broken down. Books get ruined. Technology becomes outdated. We could have a really fun time comparing old technology. And when we say old technology, it's like three years old. I bought a computer uh, with my high school graduation money 15 years ago. And in eight years, it was considered vintage. I looked at the guy behind the counter. I was like, vintage? It's eight years old. He's like, yep, sorry, it's vintage. We can't work on it. Things get old quickly. Some of us feel like we're getting old quickly. But love never gets old. Love never weakens in force or diminishes. Ken Collier again says, quote, biblical love will always accomplish God's work, whether we see it or not. Love is stronger than any force. Second, love love is longer than time itself. The word fails also has the idea of coming to an end, termination. Love will never become outdated because God himself is never outdated. Clothing styles become greatly outdated. Let's take a brisk walk down memory lane, shall we? The 1970s were known for what? Bell bottoms. I love that ad. For whom the bells toll. The 1980s, parachute pants. I don't even know what those are. There's enough zippers, though, you probably could fit a parachute in them. The 1990s, track suits. You remember these? The whole zipper, flashy, I mean, those are cool. Those are making a comeback, too, I think, which is kind of ridiculous. How about the huge baggy jeans? I had a pair of those in junior high. Not that baggy, but, you know, you need a couple clothespins just to gather up all the loose articles there around your feet just to be able to walk. Well, hopefully, none of you still have these in your closet still. If you do, talk to me because I could use them for a Halloween costume some year. But unlike these hideous clothing styles, love never goes out of vogue. Love never goes out of fashion. It never goes away. It's always pleasing to the Lord and therefore it is timeless. Third, we see that love is superior to other spiritual gifts. There's a lot of things going on in verses 8 through 10, but I want to focus on this aspect, that love is greater than spiritual gifts. Why? Paul says because in eternity, spiritual gifts pass away. They're not needed anymore, but love remains. Exercising spiritual gifts is a big part of Christian service. We all are given spiritual gifts, the Bible says. We have an opportunity, a responsibility even to exercise them for the good of other people. But as we learn in verses 1 through 3, even these gifts, if they're not done in love, are worthless. Love is greater than even spiritual gifts. And finally, love is greater than all the other virtues. Paul concludes this chapter really in a surprising way. He says that love is greater than hope and faith. How can he say that? Why why did he say that? Because both faith and hope will be fulfilled when we see the Lord. Our faith will be turned to sight when Christ comes back. Our hope that we've been anticipating is realized. But love doesn't experience a fulfillment. It experiences an intensification. Love doesn't go away, it gets stronger. In eternity, our love will grow. 
Also, without love, these virtues run out of steam. Love keeps the faith, the Bible says. Love hopes all things, as we just saw. Love fuels our faith and strengthens our hope. Therefore, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, at the end of this letter, let all that you do be done with love. Any attitude you have, any action you take, any thought you think, all of it is to be covered in love. That's a very high standard, but it emanates from the God of love himself. That when God loved us and sent his son to die for us, he did not leave us alone. He gave us his spirit to enable us to grow and to change. So as you reflect this morning on how you can better practice biblical love, I'd like to finish with three practical steps to give you an idea about application. Resolving to practice biblical love this year starts by loving God wholeheartedly. Our love for others has to start with love for God. You can't truly love, as 1 Corinthians 13 describes, if you don't love God. Matthew 22, 37 through 38 says this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. You can't love others if you don't love God. And this assumes then that you have accepted God's love for you. If you're here today and you not confess Jesus as your Savior, if you've not received the love of God in the gospel, you will not be able to show biblical love because you don't have the capacity for it. And yet John 3:16, perhaps the most well-known verse in the entire Bible, says that God loved the world and sent his Son to die for our sins. 1 John chapter 4 talks at length about how God Christ loved the world, and God sent Christ to be the propitiation to pay for our sins. And so the first step is to receive the love of Christ in the gospel, and then also to love our Father. And notice how we are to love God here from this verse. We're to love our God not half-heartedly, not partially, but with our hearts, our souls, our minds. Mark chapter 12 adds with our strength. It's all of us. Every part of us is to love God. Every part of us is to be obedient to Christ. Every part of you should love God wholeheartedly, completely. Second, love others generously. The greatest commandment, as we just saw, is to love God supremely, but the second commandment follows immediately after it. Jesus continues, and the second great commandment is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke's gospel, right after Jesus says these things, a lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Luke says he was seeking to justify himself, to, to, to pass himself off as self-righteous. Well, who's my neighbor, Lord? And Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. That the answer to who my neighbor is, is actually anyone that is a fellow image bearer of God. Anyone that is another human being is my neighbor. That means that we cannot find an exemption from this command. There is no one we can say, well, I don't have to love that person. The scriptures are very clear. We love the people we like, our friends. We love the people we live with, our family. We love the people we loathe, our enemies. Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Loving others doesn't just happen, though. It's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow morning after being here in our worship service today and say, wow, I love other people now. We're not passing out, you know, memory sticks at the end of the service here, a USB stick for you to go home and plug it into your brain and say, oh, I downloaded the love file. I'm good. It doesn't work that way. 
We have to make a conscious choice by the grace of God to ask for the Lord's help to grow and to love others. To love someone else is a gift of God's grace. And that leads us finally to number three. Ask God for grace to love. Have you ever tried to love someone more without asking for God's help? How did that go for you? It's really hard, isn't it? I'm just going to like this person more. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to love you. Well, that, <laughs> that doesn't go well. As you discovered, you can't love God and love others in your own strength. But here's the beauty of it. There is great freedom in admitting that we are completely unable to love others in our own strength. There's freedom with humility. Because when we admit we can't love the way Scripture teaches, we've positioned ourselves to receive God's powerful grace. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13 gives us the secret. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The Lord will cause us to grow in love. This is the only way we can do it. So don't walk out here saying, well, I just need to try a little harder. Or, well, you know, if someone would just improve a little bit in my family, I'd be able to love them better. No, the responsibility is for us to get on our knees and say, Lord, I need you to increase my heart with capacity, with grace to love someone else. As we work on growing in love this year, let's resolve individually, but also together to let everything we do be done in love. Our love for one another as we gather is a mark. It's the distinguishing mark that separates us from the world around us. I'll finish our time this morning with a quote from the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, because it gives us the wonderful perspective about the challenge of growing in love. And then we'll pray. The author says this, Every day I put love on the line. There is nothing I'm less good at than love. I am far better in competition than in love. I'm far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and make my mark than I am at figuring out how to love one another. I am schooled and trained in acquisitive skills in getting my own way. And here's what the author concludes. And yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily opening myself to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. May the Lord help us to have this attitude, that yes, we will fail. Yes, it is hard. But failing in love is far better than succeeding in selfishness and pride. Would you bow with me for prayer? Father, as we conclude this morning, we know that there are so much wrong with our world, but as we look internally, there's so much wrong with our hearts. We experience the pain and the frustration of sin in a broken world, a world that, that hates you, that is antithetical to your working. And we read the scriptures and we see that, that your standard is that we are to love everyone else, and that's so hard. It's so hard to be patient and kind and not prefer ourselves and to think right and to not hold wrongs and to hope and to believe and and so, Father, we confess our inability and we ask for your grace to grow in the thing that Jesus does most of all and best of all, and that is to love us. May we, by your Spirit's help, progress 
in our love for you, in our love for one another this year. And may we experience the fruit and the joy of abiding in your love each day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.